Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Good morning again. I'm Stephanie, and I'm going to be reading from Revelation 3. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand for the reading of the word. Be reading from Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. Revelation chapter, or really part two, it's not really chapter, chapters really uh, two and three. Uh, we started this last week, and uh, I introduced this uh, thought that um, with Revelation, you, you kind of just set a course, and you use a source, and, and we've done that, and we were saying that there is room for debate, and there's room for discussion, and I just want to paint this picture. I won't say this every week, uh, but I want to paint this picture that, uh, you know, we're not saying that you got to believe exactly what we believe and everything. There's some things we do that Jesus is going to win in the end. hope you believe that uh, and and that part, but what happened last week is I I got through preaching, and I went home to eat lunch, and uh, one of my kids, uh, Micah, my my third oldest child, uh, he said, hey, I'm glad you said that about there being debate room for debate and room for discussion. I said, okay, yeah, why is that? He goes, because I disagree with a lot what you said yesterday, <laughs> today. Anyway, he didn't say a lot, but he said, I disagree. And here I want to say this. I want to add this. Up. You can disagree with some things. I'm not here to say that I'm the revelation expert, that we are uh, biblically arrogant, that we know we've, we've, we've uncovered revelation. We have all the answers here. 
But there are some things we do have to agree on, and this, you do have to set a course, and so we're going to set a course. So I'm going to get you caught up if you weren't here last week. Here we go. Uh, this letter is written to them for us. This letter can't mean to us what it did not mean to them. Meaning that the letter, we went over this last week, the letter of Revelation is written to the seven churches. I'm going to cover that in just a second. It's written to the seven churches. And so it can't mean to us what it did not mean. It was written to them for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so we can't put things out there, uh, meanings, and you can disagree. That, that's, I'm just telling you, that's the course we're taking, and it, and it really is sound biblical uh, interpretation. Uh, that's the way you, you, you interpret Scripture. And, and before we move on with today's message, I want to give you a resource. That There's some resources there. You want to write that down. You may want to go like sometime this week and, and look and see what we're talking about, just some resources and what, where we're going and, and where the aim is and everything like that. And we will also have some dive deepers uh, where we do the Q&As on Monday nights uh, at the end of the month where you can ask questions and, and, and there's uh, an exchange there and that's coming up as well. But I just wanted to go there. So just everybody's called up. Everybody good? Great. Um, Today, victory and doubt. You ever, you ever, um, you ever wondered, or you ever watched something, and you and you, you were watching something, and, and it seemed like it was going to be victory, and then all of a sudden it was victory and doubt. You ever experienced that? And uh, you know, it could be that you know you had to get somewhere at a certain time. You thought I'm going to make it, and all of a sudden, boom, red light. I'm not going to make it. Victory and doubt, or uh, it could be uh, that your favorite team won yesterday. <laughs> Or your favorite team lost. What's funny about that is that uh, we always, we don't always, but there are times where we'll poll our staffs about the preaching. And one of the staff members, it's anonymous, said that we use too many sports analogies. And I thought, well, how can you do that? There's no such thing as too many sports analogies. <laughs> and so I started thinking about my analogies or my illustrations. My illustrations are... My mess-ups, food, my kids, or sports. And so we're talking about victory and doubt, and I'm going to use two of them at one time. All right? So just cut me some slack. I've been here, been at Easter 20 years. You know all my stories, so when I start, you're going to go, yeah, here we go again. Anyway, when Mitchell, my youngest, was wrestling, was wrestling for the state championship, he had dominated this match. But the other kid was good, and so he was only up by one. But he had, he had controlled the match. He'd done everything. Well, anyway, there's 29 seconds left, and I'm thinking, we're gonna, he's going to win. I mean, I'm, he's going to win. And 29 seconds left, the kid shoots in, and he gets hold of Mitchell's leg. And listen, if you don't know anything about wrestling, when someone gets your leg, that's not a good thing. They got his leg. The kid's got his leg. He's got 29 seconds. And look... For 29 seconds, Mitchell is doing a dance, and that guy's got his leg, and that guy's trying to throw him to the ground. And, and look, my heart sunk because in that moment, listen to me, he had dominated the match, but victory was in doubt. It was. It was in doubt. I was about to throw up, y'all. And that's the way Revelation is in the chapters that we're going to go over today that it was written to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. 
and they know that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's only been like 60 years since Jesus rose from the dead, and, and they still believe these things, but because of persecution that Stephanie talked about, because of persecution that we talked about last week, an unbelievable amount of persecution, uh, that they're starting to wonder and victory is kind of becoming doubtful in their minds. And so they're starting to make some bad choices. Because this whole concept of Jesus winning, as a matter of fact, it, that if you uh, look at the, the letter to the churches, these seven churches, Jesus uses the word victorious seven times. Chapter 2, 7, chapter 2, 11, chapter 2, 17, chapter 2, 26, chapter 3, 5, chapter 3, 12, chapter 3, 21. And it's, it, the whole concept says if you'll be victorious or if you'll stay victorious to the end because they had got to the place in their life where they just really weren't sure. They just really weren't sure. They believed in Jesus, but the whole concept of being victorious was kind of becoming doubtful. In that moment, because the enemy had got a hold on them. He'd got a hold on them. In each church, Jesus addresses the hold that the enemy has in their lives. And so the message of the day is where are you at? Do you live with this state? Man, Jesus is coming back. We're going to be victorious, we're going to win. Are you in this state of, yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of whole hum about the whole thing, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of moving on my life. And so as we look at the letter to the churches, I'm going to go over two churches today, Ephesus and Laodicea, and we're going to see here, what does God want from his church? What does God want from his church? What does God want from us? What does God want from every church? He wants faithfulness to the Word of God. And he wants us to love one another deeply. Faithfulness to the Word of God and love one another deep, deeply. And so today we're going to look at these two chapters. Three schemes that the enemy uses to keep us from these. Three schemes that the enemy uses to keep us from these. And so we're going to go over that right now, but I'm going to pray for us. God, speak to us in the next few minutes. Lord, sometimes... Uh, We can go days or weeks or months or, or years and never really think about you coming back. We can just kind of move on with our lives and doing our thing. And we can make some bad choices too. So, Lord, for the next few minutes, dial us in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Three schemes the enemy uses to keep us from being faithful to the Word of God and loving one another. First is this, is that we are theologically thick but thin on love. Theologically thick but thin on love. Christianity is... is, is um, Boiled down to what you know and what you do, and both are, both are, both are super important. And what we know is we know that Jesus is who He says He was. He's the Son of God. We know that. We live that. And what we do is we love. We we love. And we will see right here that Jesus is talking to one of the church, the church in Ephesus, and he he he, he just jumps on this whole thing right here in the scripture right here. He says, "I know the things you do 
I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. He's talking about their theology. He goes, I know you got good theology. I know you know what you believe. You have good theology. You don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. He says, you know what truth is. You know, you're examining, you're studying that you've got good theology. You, and theology is just simply what we believe about God. That's what it means. He says, you have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered with me without quitting. He said, he's like, you've hung in there. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, this is uh, interesting that when we accept Christ, I, I see this play out, that when we accept Christ, and when a person accepts Christ, they come into the church, man, they're on fire. They are certainly on fire. We, you know, and I love to see us there on fire. And, and man, they're, everything is, man, I'm, I can't, can't serve enough, can't do enough, can't be part of enough things and everything. And I know you're thinking, yeah, and they crash and burn. But what you, it's not really a crash and burn. It's really just we settle. We just kind of settle we kind of uh, drift. We kind of just go into this complacent Christianity where we don't expect much. We're saved. We know what we believe. We go to church. But there's really not a whole lot going on there. And Jesus addresses the, the church in Ephesus. He says, you have lost your first love. Now, you, do you remember when you first got in love with somebody? Do you remember when you first got in love with Jesus Christ? I love to hear Stephanie talk. I'll just be honest with you. I love to hear her, her, her talk because she is so expressive about her love for Christ. As a matter of fact, she was, we do a dress rehearsal. We go over the service every Sunday. And she went over. She was going into the communion time. She got choked up today speaking about Christ during the dress rehearsal. Well, guess what? I got choked up because she got choked up. Because we see the passion and something. And sometimes, man, our passion just wanes. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Have you lost your first love? See, when you follow Christ, you should love Jesus more now than you did when you got saved. Just like if you're married, you ought to love your spouse more. I know we're getting personal here, aren't we? This is where you can elbow, you know. Supposed to love them more now than when you first got married. And sometimes I think we have good theology. We know what we believe, but I'm going to be honest. Uh, sometimes I don't think we're. I don't think we're loving. I'm going to run through some things. Sometimes we're judgmental. Sometimes we're mean. Sometimes we're not hospitable. Sometimes we complain. A lot of times we're the opposite of love. We are, we're just the opposite. Sometimes I wonder why anybody would want to follow Jesus Christ if they were to follow our post, what we post on social media. 
Why would somebody want to follow somebody that complains all the time? And look, if you want to get a follow on social media, start complaining because people are, they're ready to jump in. Because that's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are you at today? Do you love other people? Are you hospitable? Or are you summed up as being judgmental? Because Jesus says that we're to love him and to love other people the way we did it first. It ought to be, really, it ought to be more. But it shouldn't be a drift down. The second scheme the enemy has is this. I'm going to spend some more time on this one. Is that we are spiritually aware but indifferent. We are spiritually aware, but indifferent. And the word indifferent just simply means that um, we don't care anymore. We don't care. We're indifferent. Man, might go today, might not, might, might, might serve, might not, might, might help out with trunk or treat, might not see, what, see what's going on in my life and, you know, see what time the Falcons playing that day and everything like that. And if it all lines up, I might. And I know there's all real personal things, but We can get there in a hurry. A while back, I approached a couple who was a part of our church. And this is a hard part of my job is there was a sin issue. And so I had to talk to them. And that usually, honestly, doesn't go over very well. But... My job is not to judge people. My job is to tell people the truth. And I hope that you feel comfortable. You can do that with me. And as I was talking to them about the sin issue, they said something that, that stunned me. They said, yeah, we knew it was wrong. They, they, they didn't say it was wrong. They said, yeah, we knew how you felt about it. And so we didn't tell you. That's what it is to be indifferent. When you have areas in your life that you're hiding from people, that's what it is to be. I'm aware, but man, I, I, I'm spiritually aware. I know this is wrong, and, and I'm spiritually aware. I know what's going on, but I'm indifferent. And we get this whole... Uh, Letter right here to the church at Laodicea. And here's the funny thing about the church at Laodicea. You know, there's a lot of names for churches. There's a lot of names for churches. I've never seen anyone named Laodicea. Have y'all? This is the church nobody wants to be. But this is the church, when I say that, that you and I don't want to be. I don't want any part of this. And so we see this church that is aware of what's going on, but man, they're just indifferent. They don't care. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon, and this is, this is going back to last week, just to just talk about just uh, what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on behind the scenes in Revelation. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and, and seven crowns on its head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. We went over this last week, that there's this battle going on, that it's raging behind the scenes. One-third of the stars in the sky have flown onto the earth, and he stood in front of the woman as she's about to give birth, talking about when Jesus was about to give birth, that the, the, the enemy, the dragon, was ready to devour the baby as soon as born, that there's this galactic battle that's been going on. But you and I can become indifferent. 
that we're just thinking about when's this going to be over because we got to go to lunch and we got to beat the Baptist El Charo. And that's how we live our life. We get, we, we, we are so, we, we get so fired up about Georgia winning. I talked about this last week. I love Georgia football. I do. I love it. But we get so fired up. Listen, we're shouting and shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come in here. Oh, we wouldn't raise our hand. Somebody, we, they couldn't pry our hands up. Somebody scores a touchdown. We're like this. We couldn't pry our hands up to, to raise our hands for the name of Jesus Christ. Couldn't pry. We're indifferent. We go, Gary, that's a personal thing. I know it's personal, but I know the scripture says, raise your hands to the Lord, lift your hands up. That's what it says. That, man, my greatest praise ought to go to him. That if that, my greatest praise, and you hear me say it, that if I'm going to shout for my kids when they're doing sports, and I'm going to act like a fool, and I will, my, this is my pose, man, when my kids do well. Yes. I'm the, I'm the dad you hate. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, I'm not in their face. I'm, yes. But guess what my pose is for Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes, not indifference, but passion, not, not indifference, but, but I'm going to be passionate about what the Lord's doing and what he's doing in my life. And he dresses the church at Laodicea see if we get the next scripture. He says, I know the things that you, you do that you are neither hot or cold. Now we've heard this, you want to talk about, this is a scary verse in Revelation. This has nothing to do with the dragon. This has nothing to do with the antichrist. This has to do with you and I. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that seems hardcore, doesn't it? That's not the sweet baby Jesus I know. And Jesus is playing on some geographic things going on here. Laodicea was in the middle. You had Hierapolis and Colossae that were on the right and the left. Hierapolis had the warm springs that they were known for. Colossae had the cool water that they were known for. Laodicea had aqueducts where they got water brought to them, but it wasn't hot or cold. It was lukewarm, and it was dirty. And Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea that your faith is as bad as your water. That it's not hot, it's not cold, and it's dirty. And he says, I'll, just like you spit that water over your mouth, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you're indifferent. Now, it's easy to get indifferent. It's really easy to get there. Sin, busyness. Priorities, selfishness, all these things can lead to us being indifferent. He goes on to say, you say, I am rich, I have everything I want. To me, this makes us more indifferent than anything else. Self-sufficiency. I don't need Jesus. I got a nice house, got a nice car, got a nice family. I don't, I, I'm I'm good. And that starts the drift. That starts the settling in. That starts the complacency. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, I know these are hard words, but, you know, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He's just saying, hey, you're in way, better, way worse shape than what you think you are. 
And as a pastor, you'll hear me say this over and over again because I feel like this is a pattern that we fall into, and I'm going to say it. We come to church for a while, and we start to think that we're good, that we're good. You're not good. I'm not good. We're not. Jesus didn't save any of us because we were good. He saved us because we were wretched and in need of salvation. And Jesus is reminding the church at Laodicea here. And then finally says, so I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. He says, you need me. Come to me. That's what he said. Come to me. You need me. And also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes. Laodicea was known to have this salve for the eyes. They had, they had, uh, and so Jesus is playing on that as well. So that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and listen to this and turn from your indifference. So where are you at today? Like, I know it's harsh. It's harsh. Every letter to each one of these churches has a warning. And Jesus is warning us. And then here's the last one. We're spiritually weary and fallen away. Spiritually weary and fallen away. And I wonder if that sums up us way more than we realize. We're just weary. I'm tired of this. Don't know if I'm going to do it anymore. Ready to throw in the towel. Drifted down so much, just I don't even know if it's worth it anymore. There's a documentary about Navy SEALs where they're put through so much physical, mental, and emotional strain that this is a constant of whether they can make it or not. They go days without sleep. They're thrown in the water for hours, sometimes days. And in front of them is a bell. And they're told by their leader, whose one job is to try to get them to quit, because far better for them to quit during training than to get out in the field and quit. And so he's constantly saying, hey, all you got to do is ring the bell. You can go back to sleep. All you got to do is ring the bell. We got hot meals for you. All you got to do is ring the bell. And a lot do. And I wonder if that's where you're at today. That you see the bell of comfort. Complacency. Self-preservation. Self-sufficiency. And you're like, man, I'm ready just to ring that bell. Let me show you the scripture right here. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is knocking. He's knocking. In the midst of all of it, he's knocking. Every day, every moment, every minute, he's knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. 
And we will share a meal together, and you're going to see it's a theme of Revelation over and over again, a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Maybe this entire message has described where you're at. I don't know. I know we can get weary. I know we can get indifferent. I mean, this is true for a pastor as it is much for just a person in the congregation. But the answer for all of us is the same, is to turn back to God, to open the door, to hear his voice, to listen to his voice. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come, 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 come. And so I'd like to close with a time of decision. Maybe today you're weary. Maybe today you're indifferent. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you can say, you know, I've drifted. I've become complacent. I used to expect the Lord to do things, and, I, and I'm not even looking for him anymore. The answer is simple, so simple. Open the door. Turn back to him. Do the things that you were doing at first. Go back to your first love. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone. I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray together, and then I'll ask you to stand and sing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings we have. Lord, I, I'm grateful that the message to these churches 2,000 years ago is so applicable to our lives. Father, I pray that we would see today that in you, with you, through you, we are victorious. That we need you. Lord, I pray for the person here today that's weary. For whatever reason, I pray for the person who is indifferent. For whatever reason. that we would turn back to you. That we would open the door, hearing the call of your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you have a decision to make, would you come?
Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you, we love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.